Welcome to Prospecting Purpose, where we explore mining's role in shaping a sustainable, socially just, and brighter future. I'm Liz Friel, your host for the series, with a rotating guest on every episode. Have you wondered how exactly we're going to get to that low-carbon future we all keep talking about? Maybe you already know we're going to need a lot of mining to get there. You probably also know mining isn't a terribly low-carbon activity. How do we reconcile these two realities and take real action at the mine site level, given the urgent need to reduce our carbon footprint now, not tomorrow? That's exactly what we're going to focus on today. Joining me as my co-host today is Chi Ting Lo, one of our industry's innovative chemical engineers and principal of ELO Solutions. As a specialist in carbon footprint reduction and energy transitions in the industry, she has immense experience supporting some of mining's biggest names from strategy to implementation. Welcome, Chi Ting. Hi. Hi, great to have you in the show. Thanks. So before we start, I'm curious, how did you first get into this nexus of mining meets energy? Well, I first started doing energy work in my undergraduate thesis. And then when I moved on to my graduate work and working on a hydrogen storage solution for fuel cells, uh, we were successful in that thesis and we tried to commercialize that. And our first customer sector was actually mining and military applications. So that's how I kind of first started in this journey. Awesome. Quite interesting. You've come a long way since then. <laughs> Actually, it comes a full circle because fuel cells was in, in a space where it was not as fashionable uh, when I was working on it. But it's, as you might have heard recently, fuel cells for mining and hydrogen is, is something that's really uh, picking up steam. Yeah, I, I have heard that. Actually, that's awesome. So let's start with the end. A low carbon future, which requires a clean energy transition and a huge amount of minerals and metals are going to be needed to get there. Awareness of pressure has been growing amongst the public, the financial sector, around reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. Now, of course, mining is intimately involved in virtually every global supply chain. Um, so surely the pressure that's coming down on all sorts of industries is moving upstream, meaning mining itself has to learn how to do things in a way more energy efficient and low carbon way and fast. I'm wondering if you notice this in, in your work with the industry. Yeah, definitely. I think this is this whole low carbon transition is, first of all, an opportunity for mining, a business opportunity in many metals and minerals sector, not all of them, but many of them. And that it's, it's pretty exciting to be a core of that of that low carbon future. So certainly I, I see that. And I think companies see that as a as a way to secure their future, but also manage some of the risks that they see. Climate change is bringing some physical um, risks to the mine site level, whether that's causing flooding or drought, or just some of the challenges around uh, environment. I, I think this is certainly becoming very important for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I actually just uh, listened to a webinar the other day from the S&P Global, and they were saying that I think it's 60% of companies on the S&P have been marked as having very material risks um, linked directly to climate change, which is pretty scary. Yeah, but at the same time, there are opportunities, right? Like uh, this is not all bad that, that there's risks to be managed, but there's also real opportunities on cost management to become more competitive and to provide a, a healthier and safer environment for the workers. Absolutely, yeah. So you work a lot on carbon footprint reduction with various mining companies, and a pretty significant amount of this comes down to energy. The business case for clean energy is obviously pretty awesome. But for those who don't know, how much does inefficient energy use actually cost the average mining company? I think this, we have to kind of take a step back on talking about the concept of clean energy business case, because 
let's let's take a step back on kind of thinking about a mining operation as a as an ecosystem. So on the energy side, you have the supply of energy, and then you have the demand of energy. And the demand is the energy that it takes to do the activities at at a mine site. And in order for us to improve our overall energy efficiency and reduce our carbon footprint, you have to work on both the supply side and the demand side. So the demand side is a lot easier to see, which is kind of alluded to your question around wasted energy. The demand side is really how much energy does it really require to mine and, and process the material of interest. And there is certainly wastage along the process. There is things that we can do to improve the efficiency or using innovative solutions to change the way we do things. And then there's also when and how much energy is required at any given time, thinking that mining is a 24-7 operation. And then when we look at the supply side, then we're looking at the energy input into the mine site. So they could be energy supply generation on the mine site level in a remote operation. It could be purchasing this energy from the grid or some specific private sources. So when you think about the clean energy business case, we are assuming we're talking about the supply side, then it kind of goes into, well, do you mean you can supplement your current supply with some clean energy and that has a good business case? Or do you supplement all of that and there is a good business case? Or are you saying that we can buy some clean energy at good business case? So I think there's kind of like, you know, those part we need to maybe explore a little bit more when we get further into that. Because in my opinion, the clean energy supply is not necessarily a good, good business case dependent on where the mindset is and what is available around them. But coming back to your question around efficiency and how much wastage there might be in mining, I think that's also you know, certainly difficult to answer. But we know that the mining operations use typically around 10 to 12% to up to 35% of their total operating costs on energy. And to put that into perspective, one of the larger mine sites I've worked with, they spend $300 million a year on their energy costs. So when you think about energy efficiency and the changes that you might be able to have, even if it's like a 1% to 2% increase in the efficiency, it's millions of dollars of, of savings. So translate that same concept into all the mine sites that's around the world. And some of them, uh, when they're probably less modern or they may be smaller, but they could still have, you know, five to 10 percent of energy efficiency gain fairly easily. That really accumulates to an extremely large amount of money, really, ultimately for, for the benefit of mining companies. And then I just want to maybe also briefly mention the concept of energy efficiency and, and really at the, at the mine site level, there are three things you can do to reduce your energy costs. And energy efficiency is one aspect, which is to reduce, uh, you know, to make things more efficient. And then there's also an aspect that we need to think about, which is to reduce waste, which is something we don't need at all. So and a good example, if, if you don't need this light to be on, the light should be off and not to switch that to a more energy efficient light bulb like an LED. So that's kind of the two things we should think about when we talk about um, energy usage at the site level. Right. And I'm curious, with the emergence of all these new low carbon technologies, how you expect this to change in the future? So not being a technical person myself, we're seeing low carbon alternatives basically move from an R&D phase where they've been in the last like 10 to 15 years to now potentially being commercially viable alternatives for all sorts of industries. And given that you were close to close to this, I'm wondering if there are particular ones emerging where you see, for example, that it could be, I guess, I'm thinking about not just efficiency, but sort of playing off the, the cost question again. 
with new options emerging as we're trying to move from away from fossil fuels at the site level, you know, what options do you see and, and, and how do you see costs changing, whether you change or whether you don't? Like, for example, if you decide to not adopt these new technologies or not pursue energy efficiency, is the way we've been doing things going to become more costly too? So if we come back to think about this ecosystem of mining where there's the supply and there's the demand, right? In order to become a low carbon, uh, to, to be decarbonized, you b- really have to work on both and beyond potentially to really reach that climate change target of, of the world. So uh, in terms of low carbon technologies that we're thinking about, on the demand side, this is how we use energy at the mindset level. And certainly this global trend of electrification of everything, including the mobility sector, is, is a key aspect that will impact mining tremendously. This is, you know, what we hear about some of the mines starting to adopt electric vehicles, whether they're battery powered and potentially fuel cell uh, powered and hydrogen powered. These are all aspects of moving towards uh, mobility electrification. So I'm very excited about it. And I think that will have a huge impact on how we move material at the mine site level. And certainly we are also coming back and, and rethink some of these opportunities on electric systems such as conveyors or more innovative technologies such as railware and ropecon. These are also technology that move material on some sort of Belt and conveyance system, uh, but it's not your core. It's not your traditional uh, conveyors. As well as coming back and think about using train or using trolley assist vehicles to do some of the work. So really rethinking how we design the mine so we can adopt some of these electrification opportunities is really going to be very exciting for me. And also on that demand side, so we continue on this demand side. Uh, we haven't really talked about this in detail, but mining essentially had we we can simplify mining energy into three main steps. Step one is the extraction phase, is essentially how you remove and ore from the ground. And number two is this material movement phase, which we just talked about on the trucking, is basically moving the ore and waste from A to B, where it, they need to go for whether that's to be disposed of, uh, to be stored, or to be processed. And number three is that mineral processing of that uh, magic process where rock goes in and a gold bar comes out. And in that process, there's a lot of uh, mechanical, chemical, and electrical processes that going on that affects how you know what comes out and what goes in and what comes out literally. On the high level on what's exciting about um, decarbonization in the mining sector, certainly that sector electrification is one one part that we, we just talked about in quite detail. And the second thing I really look for is this autonomous vehicles and system that will remove people from a more dangerous environment. And along the way, this improves both productivity and efficiency. So I'm, I'm very excited about that technology specifically. And then last thing, I think we haven't, you know, I think something that we will start talking about a lot as an industry is around uh, incorporating zero carbon into the design phase and really considering how this could be not just a principle, but also a goal to achieve in the new mine designs. I'm working with two smaller mining companies, and you might think that smaller mining companies are not as interested in this or they don't have the money to pursue these activities. But one of them are very, very interested in developing quite a modern mine where they're eliminating diesel underground and looking for ways to really become a top efficient 
perspective and and a minimum uh, carbon producing mine in in um, in Canada. So so I, I think it's happening slowly, but it's happening both from big and small companies. So that's really exciting to see. I like that you uh, you mentioned the zero carbon because I wanted to actually ask you about that. You know, we're seeing growing pressure on companies all over the world to disclose. For let's take the example of disclosing an alignment with the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures. More recently, we've seen the emergence of initiatives like Comet, the the Coalition on Materials Emissions Transparency, that was announced uh, last year at Davos. That would create a universal greenhouse gas calculation framework for the industry. I see these sorts of things leading many miners to jump on the net zero commitment train, basically. And I'm curious what you think, working with numerous companies uh, at the heart of their net zero strategies, how likely is the average operator to achieve these goals with the current actions and plans that you get to see up close? Mm-hmm. I think I think this is the question that everybody wants an answer. And I, I think if you look at the companies that have made these net zero commitment, they generally have a 2050 net zero commitment with some sort of midterm, either 2030 or 2040 commitment to reduce their greenhouse gas emission to an X, X amount. And I think companies are not able to really make a plan to fully decarbonize based on current landscape of both where they are as a company as well as what technologies are becoming fully commercialized for them to take on that path. I guess my short answer is I think there is a potential to reach that, but mining companies will have to do more to do more to to really get that, get on that journey. And that one of the primary things I think mining companies need to do is to take the driver's seat and as an industry start demanding technologies to become available for their challenges. As, as an industry, we need to, first of all, communicate better externally to share what our real challenges are and to help set some of the specifications on what we really need to decarbonize our industry, but also uh, finding ways to support emerging technologies and technology companies to be able to really commercialize a solution and scale up that solution for the industry. And perhaps along the way, finding ways to adjust our criteria and specifications by doing things differently so that the new technology can actually move us forward. So not only that we reach our goal as a, as a producer, but also finding ways to innovate so that the technology is a suitable solution for us. Yeah, I think you're speaking to uh, what's turning out to be a running theme, actually, in this whole podcast series. Quite a few people are mentioning that, so uh, maybe we'll do a whole separate episode on that. (laughs) I'd love to dig in a bit on your specific expertise around taking the required action. Where do we start, practically speaking? Like, if we look closely at the mining process, maybe let's walk through it. What are our major sources of carbon? Yeah, so um, so the at, at a mine side level, let's draw a boundary around just the actual operation at the mine side. We can simplify that into three steps when we think about energy. Certainly, it's it's a lot more complicated than three steps. The first step is around the extraction of ore. So this is where we will have machines that are actually digging. So in a simplified version, so on an open pit mine, you would have machines digging a big giant hole and trying to to extract some ore and waste along the way. And in an underground work environment, you have something similar, but in a, in a below ground situation. And then once this material is extracted, 
both or and waste, it needs to be moved from A to B because we generally are not processing that ore in where we mine. So that have a few different routes. It could be moved by vehicles. It could be moved by other means. And this is a material movement. So from ore and waste that's discovered and extracted from certain places and going to where they need to go. So the ore generally end up in a processing plant. Certainly that's, that's not always the case, depending on the mineral, depending on the uh, processing methodology. But generally it goes into a place where it's changed from its current form as, as a giant piece of rock into something more refined. The output may be a concentrate, the output may be a gold bar, the output may be uh, something else. So in, in the third step is where things get very interesting, depending on the mineral of interest or the metal and, uh, and the type of ore that comes in, there have a variety of ways where they can be processed. And there it could be mechanical processes, uh, it could be electrical, it could be uh, chemical. So the energy mix in that processing plant is a lot more complicated than the rest of the two steps. But for extraction and material movement in the current stage, most of the fuel is consumed in those two stages. So when we think about decarbonization and focusing on where are the highest value, and we think about diesel or fuel usage as a key opportunity, then we will likely think about extraction and the material movement part a little bit more. And in places where uh, your electricity source may be cleaner in some cases if you're on a grid like some provinces in Canada, then you might be thinking about electricity as less of a concern around carbon emissions. But if you're in a remote operation where you're generating power uh, through a diesel power generation or in jurisdictions where there's still a lot of coal-fired power plants, your electricity is quite dirty. So what that means is the embodied emissions around your electricity source is also very high. And therefore, when you decarbonize, that actually is also a huge opportunity for you because your electricity can, with the world of electrification and with all this clean energy supply sources becoming cheaper every day, you can electrify your, uh, sorry, you can have a lower carbon electricity source more easily than a low carbon fuel source. So, you know, it really depends on where you are and, and what you're thinking about. That's how you can uh, think about the carbon reduction. Okay. So the overarching is looking at the extraction and the materials movement and, and the rest gets a little complicated. And I'm curious, in trying to reduce your carbon footprint at the mine site level, where do you find in your work that most companies seem to have the biggest gaps, whether it's a technological barrier or a lack of innovation or maybe just low interest? Yeah, I think I think this is an interesting question. I, I'm going to be an optimist to answer this particular question. In my work over the last decade with mining companies, things have really changed a lot. I can say with confidence that now, both at the corporate and at the site level, people are aware of the opportunities around energy efficiency, and they are supporting such initiatives as well as some innovative approach to reduce energy costs. So again, you know, thinking about more so on the demand side of the curve and a little less on the supply side of the curve. And so there are lots of ways where government is providing some funding opportunity to help offset that cost related to a more innovative and more efficient technology that's generally more expensive than where things are. So I think on the technological side and on the sort of the culture side on, and, and maybe a little bit on the financial side, 
on energy efficiency improvement is a concept that people are aware of. And what's best is that people on the ground, people at the mine site are very familiar with these opportunities and they do support it. And I think it, it really helped making that implementation a lot more successful when people on top are now aware of this and there's external resources to help and there's people who are willing to implement and support these initiatives at the site level. But when we talk about you know, energy efficiency or reducing waste, that is still a small part of their carb carbon footprint overall. And let's forget about the carbon emissions outside of their actual footprint. So here we're specifically talking about what we call scope one and scope two emissions, which are emissions generated at the site level and emissions related to energy that you purchase, such as electricity and steam. So we, if we only look at the operation itself and looking at its emissions, energy efficiency can support, let's say, 20% of your emission reduction, but you still have that 80% of emission reduction that you have to go in order to reach net zero. So that's where things become interesting. And so technology-wise, sure, lots of technologies still need to be moved forward and become commercialized. There are different design concepts we can have, and there's certainly culture changes still happening. But I'm, I'm quite optimistic that um, things that we can control, which are the cultural side and, and how we might want to spend our investment and how we gauge that investment, is getting there. Uh, we are perhaps still waiting a little bit on the technologies to catch up to solve our problems in mining. But I'm quite optimistic that on, on those fronts, that things are getting addressed, maybe not as fast as we want, but getting addressed. Yeah. So would you say then, if you looked at like the overall picture of the industry and we're thinking, so where, where are the gaps? Where are we not working hard enough? You would say that the biggest thing would be technology? I, I would say, yeah. So I, th I think we can't just, we, we can't just say, well, technology will catch up and once they catch up, we'll, we'll be able to implement and reach our goals. I think that's not the, not the right approach. What we can say is that there are still gaps on filling the decarbonization roadmaps for companies. If we think about those three main activities at the mine site, how are we able to decarbonize this material movement space now? The answer, if you talk to most of the mining companies, they'll probably say no. If we want to switch our giant trucks that we are operating now at the mine site to an electric battery power equivalent today, that doesn't happen. Would that happen in 10 years? Probably not. Would it happen in 30 years? Maybe, I don't know. But maybe what we need to do is both on improving the technology of large trucks that are electrified, as well as reconsider how you want to design your mine so that you may not need these giant trucks. So I think there's, there's both, it's not just about having that, those technologies to catch up one day, but it really is about a holistic thinking and changing on how do we help technologies to be commercialized while we also having a feedback loop to find ways to change how we do things now so that these technology emerging or nascent technology that's coming online can actually solve our problem, perhaps sometimes by changing how we do things today. So I think that's the biggest challenge. So when you think about the main challenges, what opportunities excite you the most and where's the low hanging fruit? Okay, so I'm gonna start with the low hanging fruit. So, uh, so the low-hanging fruits are generally things that are not that exciting. And people, uh, by, by nature, love exciting things. 
So the low-hanging fruits are things we are probably already doing and we can always do a better job. This is the continual improvement. These are the energy efficiency. These are the hunting down the wasted energy and really things that have really good business case by definition because we're essentially getting better at what we do. And that is the low-hanging fruit. It is not, uh, there's no silver bullet. It requires us to continue working on it, uh, perhaps uh, year after year and month after month. But these are the low-hanging fruit that's there and it, it has the right reward and, and we need to continue working on them. We cannot depend on having a silver bullet that will solve all our problems. So that's, that's where I am with the low-hanging fruit. And in terms of what really excites me, I think there's certainly a lot of technologies at play that seems to be getting us to the next level. So talk about something that's already happening again. It's this digital digital transformation, you know, having a digital and connected mind that's still happening. I, I wouldn't say all the minds I work with are digital and connected. And but just having that ability to see information in real time has already transformed the industry and it's gonna continue helping us move into ways to, to be way more efficient uh, than and than where we are now. So I'm ex I'm excited about technologies that will just happen outside of mining that is also very relevant to us. So I'm excited about that. I'm also very excited about the future that mining is a core part of that. I think that really is the most exciting part because imagine you can, you know, nowadays people have not necessarily have the best opinion about mining, but imagine in 20 years and 30 years, this, you are in an industry that is basically core to the economy and core to our future. I, I think that should that should make anybody excited and should be more interested in seeing how they can help this industry and how can, they can be part of this industry. So that's, uh, yeah. Cool. And what about things happening outside the industry? You mentioned uh, the technology sphere, for example. I'm curious what you've been seeing outside of mining altogether that you think we might be able to learn from or draw on. Are there examples? Like I think about carbon removal, small modular reactors that people have been talking about at PDAC for the last couple of years, or carbon storage in concrete. We use a lot of concrete. There's that great company in Nova Scotia here in Canada, Carbon Cure. Both Amazon and Breakthrough Energy Ventures recently invested in them. So I'm seeing a bunch of things crop up, but I'm curious because you, you're definitely the expert on this. For mining, what makes the most sense? Where should we be looking? Yeah, I think this, we talked about, you know, energy efficiency is maybe 20% of uh, carbon emissions. And then there's the 80% 80, 80 that needs to have some new technology like battery vehicles or what whatnot you have. What we didn't talk about was this uh, emissions that perhaps outside of your core boundary of your operations. And in this specific case, I'm going to use BHP as an example. So uh, in, in greenhouse gas emission accounting, there is what's called scope one and two, which we talked about. And then there's what's called scope three emission, which essentially is anything outside of scope one and two. And you can set boundaries around what scope three emissions might be. And companies like BHP have decided that they would report out on their uh, scope three emissions in a selective manner. So they've chosen the supply chain as what they want to focus on, on their greenhouse, uh, on their scope three emissions. And they want to reduce scope one and two, but also scope three emissions, which they basically have very little control. So that's when this concept of carbon removal, I think, really become a very interesting topic. 
So carbon removal is about moving CO2 from the atmosphere. And uh, there are many tech companies that are starting to get into the space and trying to produce technology and processes that can actually achieve carbon reduction through this means. So the company you mentioned is a good example on something that's outside of the mining industry in general, but could have a huge impact. So Carbon, Carbon Cure, based in Nova Scotia, is adding CO2 and mineralized, mineralized CO2 into the concrete product to forever store CO2 in, in that product, basically. And they've got great investments, as, as you mentioned, and they've actually been now in the face of being applied. So Amazon, who is one of the investors, is going to build their HQ2 with their technology. We use cement and concrete a lot in the mining industry. That's certainly something we can consider bringing into the space. So there are many technologies in that space. I think, I think it's hard to, to discuss them all, but I think what's important to think about is by looking at your energy supply and demand at the mine site level and at the corporate objectives and seeking for the right opportunity to help you improve your site level of scope one, two emission reduction and then look beyond and say, well, if we want, really want to be a leader in the space and reach that low uh, climate, tar- low carbon emissions world, and that we cannot eliminate our emissions now or in the near future because technologies still need to catch up, what are some of the opportunities around carbon removal make sense to us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And then on the flip side, what about waste energy on the output front? Is there anything more that we could be thinking about there? Yeah, I think waste energy in mining operation has been discussed, you know, many decades. And there are some good successful applications around waste energy usage. So so the, the key thing around uh, using waste energy is where the energy source is, the, the waste heat source is, and where is the heat sink. So the, are there opportunities where this waste energy can be recovered effectively, can that heat energy can be extracted efficiently, and there's a business case to use it somewhere else. I think if you can use that on site, since oftentimes mining operations are fairly remote from the rest of the community, that is certainly a good business case, but those opportunities don't always exist. And when you can, in some situations where some of your mineral processing may be centralized in a, in a larger city, then that waste heat recovery and waste heat uh, opportunity is a lot more readily available compared to a remote operation where you may have limited waste heat and a limited application and usage of that waste heat. So waste heat is a topic. I think some people do include that as a renewable, well, I guess people don't really include that as a renewable energy source, but it certainly is a low carbon energy source because you've already wasted that energy. And I see good opportunities in that. And, and um, at UBC, there some, there's some research around how do you do a system level design utilizing uh, waste heat a little bit better among other technology of choice. So certainly there are different universities and different companies seeking into utilizing waste energy. I do sort of feel like it's secondary, though. I think you're you're alluding to a good point there. It's it's already been wasted. Like we should be focusing more on the root where it's getting wasted in the first place and avoid that wastage. So you already mentioned uh, electrification as well, and I wanted to ask a bit about that because it seems to be sweeping the industry. 
even with some concerning factors like how do you maintain electrical infrastructure or how long does it take to charge a battery, for example, that operates the autonomous haul truck of the future? Nevertheless, we've seen really cool examples cropping up like uh, Newmont's Borden Gold Mine, Davix Winden Farm, um, Glencore and Sudbury, Oz Minerals is a electrifying Carapatina. South 32 recently announced something in Arizona. So a lot of these miners are making these announcements. And I wonder how far you think we are from seeing all electric mines go fully mainstream? Like, do you feel the momentum is building enough that we're getting close? I think we are getting close in probably certain area. I think this is a good place to think about mining operations that are on the grid and in jurisdictions with low carbon grid. And then think about mining operations that are remote and probably have limited choices of energy generation. Well, what about creating their own solar farms? I'm also seeing a lot of mining companies put their hands up for that, whether they can afford to do it themselves or they pursue creative joint ventures or some kind of innovative financing structure. Could that be a solution that more should be considering if they want to go electrical and they don't have access to the grid? I think so in, to a certain extent. And I think, again, it's, it's interesting and important to think about the grid itself and whether there's an opportunity to, to make, have a greener grid and also on that self-generation front. So, so that's the focus on companies already on the grid. And Borden Lake is a good example. I, I'm very fortunate to be working with them on the project to help them electrify the, the mine. So I know them quite well. So certainly they are in Ontario and they are in a grid that is already very low in carbon. They they definitely have the leadership to push this forward as, as one of the first to, to make this announcement and the first to make it a reality. And they have the right mix of electricity feed for them. So that's really, you know, they're luckier than some other operations. And when you think about grid that may not be as clean, but there's an opportunity around the grid. So, for example, let's talk about maybe Argentina and Chile and Australia as an example where there is great solar resources and sometimes wind resources. And that mine sites that are already on the grid can utilize these opportunities to sign a power purchase agreement or to have joint ventures with a renewable energy supplier to supply either part of their energy mix or all of their energy mix. In fact, it's very difficult, you know, coming back to your first question around business case around clean energy, it's very difficult to build a business case around a 24-7 renewable energy feed to a large mine that uses megawatt and megawatt of power on a, on a regular basis. Uh, but it is actually a fairly good business case in areas where you could have good solar and wind resources to offset part of your electrical requirements to green that part of your grid. So that's also very obvious and it can happen. And then in remote operations, again, is something about greening part of your supply or all of your supply. And certainly in places we just mentioned, like Chile, Argentina, Australia, have very good natural resources. But when you think about some of the mines that are coming online in northern Canada, where these resources aren't as effective and that the cost around generating renewable power in some parts of the world is just not as feasible as other parts of the world, then I think you really have to think about alternative approach to make this happen. So coming back to what we just talked about earlier around carbon removal, 
can you in places where generating low carbon electricity at current stage or maybe in the near future is not feasible what can you do to then also finding ways to remove carbon elsewhere to meet your net carbon uh, net zero carbon commitments so i think those are the things you want to you want to balance so yes in places where uh, renewable is available and that the cost of that renewable energy is dropping significantly absolutely i think mining companies should take advantage whether through generating themselves or partnerships or buying clean power um, but in other places there there are other choices to make uh, i wanted to also go back to something you've already touched on the scope three challenge so we mostly still don't include it in the conversation it's it's pretty uncomfortable so to recap again scope one direct emissions from owned or controlled sources, scope two, indirect emissions from the generation of your purchased energy, scope three, the everything else in essence. This seems to be emerging as one of the biggest challenges for our industry as we have more and more pressure to include scope three. If that's the source of most of our greenhouse gas footprint and we're not actually including it in our net zero targets, what's your perspective? Like, Where do we, where do we go from there? Yeah, I think this is not a it's not a challenge for mining. Um, it's a challenge for everyone. <laughs> it's a challenge for everyone. Yeah, because everything is at the end of the day connected. And the reason why that's that we should probably go back to why the, these scopes exist, right? The reason why scope one and two and three exist is because if everybody under the sun reports their emissions, their scope one emissions will combine to be the emission of the world, right? Scope one is their direct emission. Scope two is what they purchase. So essentially, if I, mining company, is counting scope two emissions, I'm double counting what the electricity producer is already producing. So if I add that and my scope two emission, then you know we're double counting already. And scope three is everything else that you may be double counting because it just goes into everything from the piece of paper you buy to you know, the customer who uses the nickel, such as Apple, to make an iPhone and, and what the, how that iPhone is used. So scope three is essentially something you have zero control of directly, but you can have influence around it. So this concept around scope three mission and why it has become more interesting is because we as companies that are, have higher impact in terms of emissions, it should also understand how our products and services are impacting other parts of the world and therefore in terms of scope three emission even though it could be anything under the sun most of the companies are probably targeting uh, on the supply chain side and so again we, we talked about bhp just briefly earlier and their scope three emission which they actually publish their scope three emission methodology and it talks about specifically what they track and what they report and how they potentially want to influence that going forward. And they are considering including that into their strategy, which I think it's really the next step. And, and again, I think that happens more than just the mining companies. Some of these leading large impact companies are considering quantifying parts of their scope three emissions mm -hmm. and finding ways to help influence those other players into their scope three emissions to help change the way that we reach our low carbon future. So I think it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there, there's a lot of really interesting things going on for sure, lots that we can celebrate. I wonder if you can maybe speak to what you think the biggest barriers are at an industry level. Are they cultural? Are they financial? Are they technical? I think the biggest 
challenge for the mining industry to reach the low carbon future is the way that we scale up and support innovative technology that solve our problem. I think as an industry, we need to work together because the challenge around this low carbon future is not necessarily a competitiveness question, is more of a survival question. So I think we should work together and trying to find ways that we can solve those problems together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an existential societal question, not a, not a business question, really. Yeah. Yeah, but, but companies do see this as business questions. You know, I, I, as you know, I work with a lot of mining companies, large and small, and some of these are, to them, a, a business competitiveness question that, because of that, they're not willing to share or they're not willing to collaborate with their competitors because they feel like that could hurt their chance of the futures. And, and I think that's, it's hard, to, it's hard to change that mentality, but I see lots of people, leaders that are, making different choices now and their different collaborative whether consortium or teams or projects that are happening around the world that's really trying to change that and we see some examples in action so i think that's that's really good it gives me a lot of hope because you're touching on what seems to be another running theme in the show is this challenge of collaboration that we have in the industry and we're not just opaque to the outside world, we're, we're opaque internally to each other as well. And of course, that hampers any kind of uh, forward progress uh, and innovation industry-wide. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're seeing some good movement there. Yeah, and, and I'm happy to report that it's we're not unique. I, I work with uh, industries outside of mining and I see the same challenge of the opaqueness among the industry. So I work a lot with the ports and, you know, ocean going side of things, and, and they have similar challenges. So it's, it, I guess it's good to know that other people also have similar challenges, but it, and, and at the same time, it's good to note that at least I'm observing through people I work with that there is a change. Yeah, that's super encouraging. Uh, and makes me want to ask you, in spite of all these challenges, what is working well? I think lots of things are working really well. I, I think mining industry as a whole is not very good at advertising what we're doing well. And yet we have so many amazing strengths. Yeah, we generally get on news when something bad happens and they're generally very bad when they happen. So I think we need to do a better job advertising and sharing some of the success we have and sharing some of the failures we have. I think it's also commanding to be able to share the failure and talk about how we can improve as, as, a, as an industry. And it's happening here and there. There are lots of different organizations kind of trying to do that. You know, I work with the BC government and we recently developed the BC Mining Innovation Roadmap. And this particular note on advertising and promoting mining as a responsible producer is one of the key recommendations. I like that. I also like that you mentioned the failing. It makes me think in a lot of entrepreneurial ecosystems around the world, they have these things called fail nights. And I would love to see something like that in the mining industry, because the idea is let us be open and transparent about the fact that we made mistakes or we tried this thing and it didn't work because that can help others. And helping others is actually a good thing. You know, helping others helps us as an industry, as a society. And it, again, that speaks to the, the moving forward on the collaboration piece, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it, it would be certainly interesting. You should think about organizing that. I also wanted to ask about some of the growing pressure and awareness about where products come from, like with the general public and product life cycles. Do you see this as something that is accelerating pressure? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it is. I, I think we see a lot of that data transparency and uh, be becoming more responsible as a key theme for um, investors and for customers alike. I think this is definitely going to grow. And luckily, with the ability to become more digital and connected, finding ways to be able to collect more data more easily and validate that data more easily, I think we are on the trend both from the technology perspective of being able to provide that information and also from a reporting perspective of being able to actually um, having the right methodology to deliver that information to these key key stakeholders are, are, are coming together is definitely converging. So I'm, I'm, I think it will continue becoming an important point going forward. And we've got the right tools to help us get there. So cheating, when you think about a low carbon future for the world, and when you think about mining's role, low carbon mining, what excites you? And what are you afraid of? I think what excites me as I we talked about this earlier is is really that seeing and being part of mining that is going to be central to the low carbon future. I think that's the most exciting thing that we should all think about in the industry and finding ways so that we are the right and the good citizen of the low carbon future as part of the mining industry. And what scares me the most is the dwindling reputation of mining and that we're not doing a good job communicating on some of the things we are trying, some of the things we're doing better. And I think this really hurts the industry and it draws uh, people away from us. You know, we are an industry that will be growing. We're central to the future. We need to have the right people in place. We need to have, you know, support from the society and the government in, in the right direction. And we need to have the right people running this company. So, so we need all kinds of support, not just financially, but really the resources on the human resources factor. And I think that's really important. And having a reputation that is not going in the right direction is going to hurt our chance of becoming successful. And that's what I am scared of. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. I mean, we've had a bit of a talent crisis already. And with a worsening reputation, as people seem to care more about these things that we're perceived as not being very good at, it, it becomes a, quite a risk, I think, for the, for the brighter future of, of the mining industry. So it's, it's not just doing the good work, it's telling the stories. Yes, and I think something that we can actually also think about a little bit, and I know it's not really covered in our conversation, is the future of work. And not only that mining may not necessarily have the best reputation in terms of this talent crisis that you mentioned about recruiting, but also where people had imagined where people must physically be situated working for a mining company. That is changing a lot. And I think that is also worth thinking about and looking into as a way to attract talent in the future. And I know that's not our specific topic, but I just want to mention that. No, it's a, I know it's not a specific topic, but it's one of these overarching themes in the industry for sure. What it looks like to be a miner 10 or 20 years from now is super different from what it looked like to be a miner 10 or 20 years back, right? And I don't think that we are doing a good job, as you already mentioned, of, of communicating that. And that's part of being an opaque industry. If people knew all the cool tech jobs coming up, for example, it'd be just as badass to be working for a mining company as for some big Silicon Valley company. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe last year we can talk about people, you know, being a hipster living in San Francisco working for a mining company, but maybe not a month 
COVID, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it is it is an interesting thing to as you as you mentioned to really think about more and and looking for that opportunity for mining. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in fact, one question that I like asking uh, some of our guests is if you were talking to a, a young person who may or may not be considering the mining industry, what would you want to tell them about what, what it is to be a part of this and what it will be to be a part of this in the future? I think one, one thing I like to talk to people, anybody in any age, about thinking about mining and how essential it is to our everyday life is the concept of what you can't grow, you have to mine. So if you start with that concept and thinking about what is it that we use comes from mining, then naturally you should become more interested in this. And naturally you would want to learn more about this. And naturally you should be gaining knowledge, both on the pros and cons of some of these initiatives and, and move forward from there. And I think that's just initially finding ways to generate curiosity around the concept of mining and what that really is and what, what, what it takes to be mining. That uh, actually leads in really well to my question about purpose. You know, the show is called Prospecting Purpose. And I always want to ask people what purpose means to them. So what does purpose mean to you for mining, for, for low carbon mining? I see this as an industry with a huge impact in terms of, in, in terms of the emission. And I see this industry as huge impact as in the solution as part of that low carbon future. So I, I think being able to work in this space and helping mining companies to, to either identify the path or pave the road to that low carbon future really has a very huge impact in our future. And I'm really excited and I'm really lucky to be able to work in this space where I have some skill sets that are relevant and that I can contribute to that, to that goal. Well, that's all for today's episode. If you're looking to connect with Chi Ting or learn more about her work, you can reach her via LinkedIn or at eelo.ca. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This episode is powered by Simpact, an ESG think tank and sustainability advisory firm on a mission to shape a more sustainable, socially just, and brighter future for all. Visit us at sympact.ca to learn more. What's your purpose?